quote Bendu as voiced by the magnificent Tom Baker from Star Wars Rebels, once a secret is known, it cannot be unknown. I think it's I think it's fairly straightforward, kind of explains itself, much like our show. Nerd Out, the name, you know what it is. It's a show, we nerd out. I'm Sandro, joining me as always is Rob. We do what we say on the tin, nerd out. How you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, we got a <laughs> packed episode today. It's gonna be it's gonna be huge. It's gonna be huge. We do podcasts so big. We do the biggest podcast, the best podcast you'll ever see. Yeah, so much so that we'll reject anything that Prime Minister Trumbull has done ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't know how to move on from that, so I'm just gonna do it. We've got a massive episode. Uh, we are actually discussing Star Wars Rebels. Finally, we're gonna be talking about it. Yeah, I finally caught up. You've been singing its praises, and I'd like watched an episode here or there years ago. I've had season one and two sitting on my shelf for ages, and I finally had time during the the holidays to go. You know what? I'm gonna sit down and do this. And oh my god, it was done, and I did it so hardcore. Sandro. <laughs> You'll be, I, it was done. It was didded by me and it was done diddly doodly brilliant. Speaking about quotes that we can use as blackmail in the future. Uh, oh my God. So I, I am, I've been, I've been badgering you for this to do. Let's just do a whole episode dedicated to talk about rebels because I've been hanging out to talk to you about it. Cause I've been so behind and now, and I even took over at some point. I'm there going, Oh my God. I'm like all, almost finished the available episodes of season three. And you're going, Oh, I'm still making my way through the first two. <laughs> yeah, that's in my mind. You did, you you did, you rushed through them. Uh, so we are going to be chatting about that. Also, uh, heaps and heaps of news. So we'll be letting you know our opinions on a lot of the headlines that have braced our screens the past couple of weeks. But first, the age-old question, Rob: What have you been consuming lately? Um, well, I've been going uh, embracing my retro side again. I did it a couple of weeks ago with looking at the Batman Green Hornet uh, 66 crossover done by Ralph Garman and Kevin Smith that was released years ago, but I finally caught up on reading that. And they released uh, Batman The Return of the Cape Crusader, which is uh, in the style of the 66 series of Batman, the camp series. And they actually got the original voice actors of Adam West, the legendary Adam West, and Burt Ward and Julie Ma, pretty much the only surviving members of the original cast. And they all came back to do this completely new original uh, 60s Batman story. And it embraced the, the campness of it. It's also very meta. There's a lot of references to modern Batman. There's even, a, you know, there's moments where Adam West Batman quotes Christian Bale's Batman and like references to the modern series and stuff like that. It's incredibly funny, edgy, sharp, doesn't take itself seriously at all, but is very much uh, embracing the Batman mythology. It's excellent, and it plays with the whole ridiculousness of the of the sixty series and embraces it. So, like, there is a moment where Batman and Robin go to the moon, and it's just <laughs> so much fun. Uh, the, they've got some uh, new uh, voice actors to supply the voices of the remaining, you know, uh, criminals of the Gotham underworld to do the Joker, do uh, the Penguin and the Riddler, and it's just. Beautiful, beautiful animation, beautiful storytelling, beautiful uh, writing, great performances. Uh, Adam West and Burt Ward, it's, it's as if they never left the show. They just embrace it so much. Their voices are just so fresh and young and powerful and colourful. Yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun, and they're going to carry on with this and, and for as long as they can until um, you know both boys meet their maker, which hopefully isn't close. Hopefully we get a few more good years out of these legends, Adam West and Burt Ward. They've so embraced their role within pop culture. They do it with such dignity and flair, but also a little bit of cheek and uh, uh, crudity, which I find hilarious. So, yeah, I give it I give it um, five and a half samurai out of seven samurai. It's Return of the Cape Crusader. It's a great, great addition to, you know, to the Batman mythology and the animated DVDs that come out, which we'll be talking a little bit more about their next one, which is coming out later uh, like next week, uh, our time. So yeah, that's what I've been consuming. What have you been consuming lately, Sandra? I've been reading a little bit. Uh, I've been reading a book called Age of Myth. It's the first title in a brand new series called The Legends of the First Empire by Michael J. Sullivan. It is an epic fantasy series, and I'm a I'm a massive fan of of epic fantasy. So the moment I uh, I looked up Goodreads.com, fantastic website, I went on there and I saw new fantasy series to get on board i saw this the the cover is incredible so that just kind of caught my eye as it did with a number of new readers 
And um, look, it's a really cool book. It's technically a prequel to Michael J. Sullivan's previous novels, um, which go by their names of The Rivia Revelations and The Rivia Chronicles. So this is set 2,000 years before those. This is the dawn of, as it says, the First Empire. And it's basically set around this world in which there are the Frey, which are technically elves, I think, at this stage. I'm not entirely certain where the lead-up is because I haven't read the later novels. And the runes, or the humans. And the runes see the Frey as these gods, right? And the gods see the runes as they're just animals. The the elves, they live for many, many years, and there's the whole storyline, like, they think of us as immortals the same way that ants think of humans as immortals. So there's this really cool dynamic with that. Basically, what happens is uh, one of the... I'm just going to call them humans and elves at this point. There is one of them. And they go out into the forest, and they see one of these gods. And, uh, well, they get into a fight, and they kill him. The gods are meant to be immortal. How did this happen? And that kind of kicks off this whole, uh, it's kind of a war. I have just finished the first novel. It is the first of, uh, five, although I think, I think he's added on a sixth one. I'm not entirely certain of that at this stage. And, um, with the first book, it's just you know, setting up your characters, that type of thing. And it does it really well. This is a really interesting world. I don't want to say too much else or else I will spoil it, but it is a very short novel um, compared to the likes of, you know, your, your Wheel of Times, which are quite long. This is a, this is only about 300 pages long. It really works like that because the one issue that I have with Wheel of Time, as amazing as it is, the writer, he goes off on tangents a lot. There's a lot of tangents about people's clothes and what one person thinks of another person. Like, they spend, like, chapters on that, that type of stuff. In this, all that is just cut out. It's just the story, and it flows really well. There wasn't one single point in the entire novel when where I felt bored. Some really nice twists at the end. This is one of the best epic fantasy novels I have read in ages. I'm going to give it a solid six out of seven. If you are a fan of epic fantasy, The Legends of the First Empire, Age of Myth, check it out. The second book drops, I think, in uh, four months. So I'm very excited for that. That is a glowing endorsement. It's amazing to see James P. Sullivan is doing something with his time after he stopped scaring young children to keep his uh, you know, city uh, energized. It's great that... Oh, sorry, that's Michael My- J. Sullivan. Michael J. Sullivan, yeah. Mixed up with... James P. Sullivan, Monsters, Inc., if you picked up that joke there. It was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite impressed with myself. I was listening to what you were saying. I'm also going, how can I get a Monsters, Inc. gag <laughs> in there? So you're the boss, you're the boss, you're the big, big boss. Put that book back where you came from. Also, help me. Wow, uh, I think we've reached peak nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have yet to begin with the peak nerdness, Sandra. <laughs> so that is what we have been consuming lately. But uh, let's move on to the nerd headlines, because there's a lot to get through. The first one, some very sad news. One of the best actors of not only our generation, but of previous generations of all time, John Hurt, did sadly pass away a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, huge news. I've, um, John Hurt was my first actor, really, my first actor crush when I was a young boy in country New South Wales, trying to find my place and all that I saw around me were the big masculine heroes or big studs of sport or cinema, uh, I didn't find anything to connect to and I didn't know that with my burning desire to be an actor that there was a place for, you know, scrawny, weedy people to make up their presence on screen and then this actor came along who wasn't your typical, you know, cliched version of what a movie star should be with an incredible voice an amazing intensity, a rich charm about him and a diversity within his roles that just inspired me. And I fell in love with what he did as an actor in everything he did. I became an absolute John Hurt obsessive. I watched everything he did from his incredible work in Alien, The Elephant Man, Midnight Express, all these roles hugely influential roles and i went out to see the stuff that wasn't huge and influential i saw stuff like you know frankenstein unbound which is a horrible c-grade sci-fi film where he um where he plays a time traveling agent who goes back in time and has an affair with mary shelley played by bridget fonda it's really weird and like all these iconic moments of sort of like realizations of what i needed to do as an actor to reach that level i really and then quite 
quite quickly I realized I was never going to reach his level, but I could strive to that. You know, the first time I saw The Elephant Man, I was far too young to have seen it. I was about like 12 or 13, and my brother and I didn't know what we were in for, and it's the most harrowing, heartbreaking, but beautifully made film and an incredible performance. My brother and I, I don't think I've cried more in a single film than I did the first time, and I've never watched The Elephant Man again because it was just so harrowing, but such an incredible performance from him. And then, of course, in uh, you know the most recent years, him taking on the role of the Doctor. So for me, as a Doctor Who fan and a John Hurt groupie, to have my favourite actor and my favourite character merged in a one-off. So all the all the fan talk about him not being real canon or him not being a real Doctor or stuff like that just fade into nothing because for one glorious night we had John Hurt as the Doctor and he was just magnificent. He was, yeah. yeah and for him to come back to, be, uh, to Big Finish and to record these, I know they hit... Uh, hit him quite hard with a lot of scripts really quickly so he could like get it all done and uh, have some freedom and then they've released it for, you know over the last two years or so but yes he's been suffering um, battling pancreatic cancer for the last four years or so and uh, he clearly showed that it was taking its toll on his body but he f- he fought to the bitter end so how was it for you how what, what impact you know and me as a 38 year old man I've had John hurt with me since I was 12. Uh, you of, a, of the generation below me, how was what was your first introduction to John Hurt, and how did how did he impact your life? Yeah, look, he's definitely impacted my life. I didn't know this until um, a couple of hours ago when I was was doing some research for the show, and he narrated the first movie I ever saw in cinemas, which was the Tigger movie, which was of course yes. a spin-off of the Winnie the Pooh uh, series. He narrated that, which was the first film I ever saw in cinema. You know, it's, it's always kind of been one that I don't really return to, but you know, I think about because it was the first movie that kind of spawned my uh, my obsession with cinema, and yet. Like, he narrated that. Um, my first memory of ever seeing him, probably not the best example, but it was uh, it was his role as Professor Broom in Hellboy, the first one. One of the best lines, you know, um, all the things that bump in the night, we bump back. Yeah. Just, yeah, just the relish he gave to, to, to that role. He was excellent in that, as well as a V for Vendetta, which was really when I kind of, like, noticed him and went, oh, I've seen this guy in a bunch of stuff like what else has he done and that was when i watched the elephant man um i think i was 14 or 15 when i first saw that and even then i was not prepared for it the same with um the same with alien i mean that is such an iconic role and pretty much all the the ones that you mentioned i've seen heaps of his stuff his role as the ward doctor was just incredible all the big finish stuff i mean if you haven't heard that check it out it is just the voice work i would say it's the best big finish performance that we have seen uh, or heard rather they really stepped up with the war doctor series so some of the episodes are weaker than others but the quality of the actors they get like john hurt is always outstanding the most recent ones just about to be released this month uh, brings back Leela. Louise Jamison comes into it, and it's going to be very, very fun to see that relationship between the Doctor and Leela done with the wonderful Louise Jamison and and John Hurt. So he's, you know, it's it, it, that's where they produce their best work. They've really put it into um, the War Doctor series. At the end of his time, he was getting quite sick. He still did a couple of conventions for Doctor Who. Um, he went to Gallifrey One last year in the States. Um, he did a couple of conventions in around, in around England. Yeah, I remember him saying uh, along the lines of he was always afraid of doing conventions because he, <laughs> he always thought they were weird and crazy and scary. Uh, why would I ever want to do that? But he said when he did these conventions, he said they were the most wonderful, caring, friendly, supportive environment and a community that just was so loving of him and he was just overwhelmed by that. So I thought that was a beautiful end of his career to to be involved in Doctor Who and to experience that love and he would have felt that as well with his work in um, uh, Harry Potter as well. Um, moving on though, some uh, well, some sad news that we did kind of see coming. Peter Capaldi has announced that he will be leaving alongside Stephen Moffat on the uh, 2017 Christmas special. The conversation is though, who will be the next Doctor? Rob, what are your picks? I'm kind of sick and tired of the white guy in that role. I'm I'm ready for a change. If I see another white guy in the role of the Doctor, I'm kind of gonna scream. So the, there's only one white guy who I'd accept in the role, is just before Capali regenerates, something triggers in his mind and he has a flashback. 
and then we stop in that regeneration and we go back in time and boom, we wake up, the screen starts, and there is McGann, Paul McGann, and we get Chris Chibnall doing Paul McGann's series of Doctor Who. Yeah. And it leads right up to the moment where he, he doesn't regenerate when he goes into um, you know the start of the night of the Doctor. So th- that is not going to happen. But I went, that's my pipe dream. That's the only way I'll be happy with a with a with a white guy in the role. I'd love to see uh, Adrian Lester, who was the lead in Hustle and then left and then came back. Beautiful actor, wonderful actor, and you know he do great in the role. I've always championed Helen McGrory, a beautiful actress who played uh, Draco's mum in the Harry Potter series, and she's done a lot of work in uh, Peaky Blinders at the moment. Olivia Coleman is always a great choice. She's David Tennant's choice mm-hmm. as well because they work together in Broadchurch. Uh, Richard, uh, what's his name from um, the IT crowd? Richard Adewa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Adoni. And uh, Hayley Atwell, because I'm a huge fan of Agent Carter. She could be quite good, and she's expressed an interest in it. So, yeah, they're my choices. Who, who are your choices, Andrew? Um, I, uh, I've also jumped aboard the Hayley Atwell bandwagon. I have pretty much since she expressed interest midway through Matt Smith's run. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that she's not really doing anything at the moment, and she would make a brilliant Doctor. Um, Olivia Coleman would be interesting, when I kind of think of her, though, I think of her as like more of like a Missy type character <laughs> rather than the Doctor. I don't know why, but I do. And she's like Bill Bailey. She's had been completely wasted on Doctor Who with her previous appearance. She was like in the Eleventh Hour when she played sort of like mm. human representation of uh, Prisoner Zero. Such a wasted opportunity of an incredible actress. So yeah, um, my uh, my other front runner next to Haley Atwell, though I don't know how to pronounce his name, mainly just because my internet has, for some reason, stopped working aside from Skype. It's really weird. But the guy who is currently playing Black Panther, I know he's really busy at the moment, but I think that he would make a fantastic Doctor. Like, he's a young actor, but he has that wisdom about him um, in, like, his performance, his kind of gravitas, and I think that he would make a fantastic Doctor. Yeah, he, yeah, he, um, uh, yeah, Chad, Chadwick, uh, Bossman. Yes, that's it. Chadwick Bosman, he did very, very well. I was really impressed with, you know, especially the revelation scene at the end when he confronts, you know, the, the guy who killed his dad and he went, oh, okay, I know what you're doing and, you know, I'm not going to give you give, you know, you're not going to escape what you've done by killing yourself. It was, yeah, a beautiful moment and really mm. well. So they've cast well with him. He could definitely bring the, the two hearts that the Doctor requires. I know um, a couple of the front runners in terms of uh the actual cast scene, though, one of them, I'm not familiar with his work. He was in the most recent James Bond movies, I think Skyfall and Spectre. Uh, but Rupert Grint is also being tossed around, which I think could be interesting. Again, it's another white guy, but he could work. We do know that season 10 starts April 15th, though, so not too long to wait. And uh, I'm sure casting will happen, I hope, not before the season starts, because that would be a bit awkward. Yeah, they normally make the, like, they made the announcement last time you know, in August. So they'll get through all of Capaldi's time without, they'll just keep the rumour mill going, but they won't start doing any serious talk about Revelation until June. So at the end of June, so July, July, August, yeah, they'll start pushing it hard. Mm. They'll probably have him cast, him or her, cast around about uh, May, or they're probably even looking at it now, but they won't start doing serious pushing until July. All right. Uh, moving on from Doctor Who, though, another guy has left something. Ben Affleck is no longer the director of the Batman. Guess he just got sick of being asked about it. Uh, he is still the writer, the executive producer, and, of course, Batman, but he is no longer going to be directing the movie. That means they're going to have to get in another director. <sighs> Look, I'm... I'm really worried about this film now because the best thing that this film had going for it, yes, Ben Affleck was the best part about BVS and next to Wonder Woman, but is this a bad thing? Because DC, I'd never really nail it with their directors uh, as of this stage. Of course, it's probably more due to studio in- interference, but now with no Ben Affleck in the directorial role, that means they're probably going to be able to push around the director quite a bit. So I'm worried for the movie, got to be honest. What about you? Yeah, yeah, it's it, look, it's it's a big shame and it's a big blow for the Batman film. There were rumors going around that they uh, did pass around the most latest script to uh, one of Argo's co-writers, which was a, a good sign, a positive sign. Mm. Uh, but yeah, then it just came out of the blue. Affleck says no, and that's the thing. Getting in a you know quality directors is going to be tough because there's such bad blood out there. 
But it's clearly a sign, and what I'm afraid of what's happening with Doctor Who is, yes, it's that corporate interference. It's the people who handle the money, who handle the business, who don't really have a sense of creativity, of style. They're stepping in and looking at numbers and dots and zeros as opposed to color and shape and emotion and tone and all that type of stuff that needs to be addressed. Yes, it is show business, but it's also the show part of it as well. And especially in the DC world, you can see the business side of it, you know, so much more than the show side of it. Yeah, was, we, we, we will have to wait and see with that one. There's still no release date. 2018 was being tossed around a bit, but I don't think they're going to make that. I'm thinking maybe 2019, probably the same year as Justice League Part 2. But yeah, there we go. Uh, some some very uh, disappointing news there all round. Move on to people joining things rather than people leaving things. <laughs> we have uh, the leads for the yet another Marvel television series. This one's Cloak and Dagger. It will be joining Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a part of ABC week to week. They have cast the leads for Cloak and Dagger, which is kind of like a mutant. It's like a new mutant. Two young teenagers doing mutant things. I've never really read it. It's one that I've meant to read. It sounds fun. (laughs) You're selling it really well. (laughs) Uh, They have cast two young teenagers in the role, Olivia Holt is one of the, the leads who have been cast. She's best known for the Disney XD musicals, so all the kids' shows in which they sing. She put out an EP last year. It'll be interesting to see what she brings to the table. But Audrey Joseph has been cast as the male lead. You may know him from The Night Of. They've got a HBO actor in there. That's pretty much the only thing he's been in aside from Run All Night. He had a very, very small role in that uh, more recent Liam Neeson film. It's an interesting cast because you're getting someone who is in, you know, The Night Of, but then you're getting, um, (laughs) that sounded really weird, but then you're getting someone from the complete opposite of all that from the, the Disney side of things. So it'll be interesting to see if they find that middle ground and make the show work, because I don't think it will, to be completely honest. But yeah, that's an interesting show. Marvel's Cloak and Dagger will be out 2018. Um, I wouldn't say I'm looking forward to it. I'm, you know, it's Marvel, so I'll watch it anyway. But, you know, what do you think, Rob? Um, well, yeah, if whatever happens, um, we'll see how we go. I have no idea about Cloak and Dagger as a as a comic book series all i know about it is uh <laughs> as a movie from the 80s i grew up watching with Davy coleman and um and henry thomas from et called cloak and dagger that was a pretty cool film and i watched that in the 80s but that's all i know about it bring it on marvel we'll see how that goes uh also new television announcements john wick <laughs> this is just funny to say there's going to be a young john wick origins story uh tv show yeah. For some reason, the movie was good. I'm looking forward to the second one, but do we need an Origins TV show? I don't think we do. No, no, no. I do, I'd go so far as to say I don't think we need a John Wick uh, story at all. So, uh, really? They're getting two movies, and so to get a, a prequel um, sort of like seems rather excessive and providing stuff that wasn't really needed at all. Um, it seems kind of like the news that they're also working on a Taken prequel, so I don't know what's going on. All these action franchises are getting TV show prequels for some reason. Yeah, yeah, we got, you know, three Taken films where one was fine, and now, we well, three Taken films and now a prequel TV show. Uh, and John Wick, we're getting a second film and a prequel TV series. This stuff we don't need. This money could be spent on getting Agent Carter Season 3 up. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, and one final bit of news now. STDs in trouble. That's, of course, Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> they uh, they have changed their release date. On the trailer, they announced that it wouldn't be coming out in May 2017. It would just be coming out in 2017. So doesn't seem like NBC... Is it NBC? Yeah, it doesn't seem like NBC really know what they're doing. This is uh, the fourth reschedule that this show has had which is a real shame because i was looking forward to this to, to come out in may around the, the game of thrones time but looks like it's not going to be happening well so. I, I feel a bit sorry for the star trek franchise you know it's it had such a, a bold start in the 60s it then faded into nothing and in, in syndication and you know it became a bit of a joke then with the success of um the star wars movies they said let's bring this back um so then they made 
whatever your opinion is of the odds and evens Star Trek movies, the Star Trek films, the classic Star Trek films is how I got into Star Trek and I adored them, all six of them. But yeah, then their success in the 90s with not only Next Gen or 80s and 90s with Next Gen, then Deep Space Nine, then Voyager was you know a real capital you know time for it, and especially then with the Next Gen movies, which were very good but faded with uh, Genesis. But now, because the rights are split, there's rights with Paramount, but also with the with the company that makes uh, and Bad Robot, who've got the rights to the the film reboot so that it's torn between two companies so there's no cohesion so when the 50th anniversary of doctor who came out bbc were on top of it they had like we had very little episodes back then so we had like second the second half of of uh, season seven but there was this all this promotion the other you know, missing episodes came out there was the night of the doctor there was you know all these big moments that you know the commercial they released going through everything was of course huge and adventure in space and time all this big stuff it was all one vision one opinion all working together so that when last year we came to the 50th anniversary of star trek there was nothing we got star trek beyond which kind of fizzled mm-hmm there was like you know, a re-release of the classic series on DVD or Blu-ray, but there was no big celebration. There was no big moment. There was no joyous occasion. It was kind of like a fizzer of a year, and people went, oh, you know, this is the day that Star Trek was first screened 50 years ago, as opposed to this momentous lead-up when, like, when Doctor Who happened. We all went, this is it. This is the day. This is the 50th anniversary day. Even if you weren't a Doctor Who fan, you knew about it because we wouldn't stop talking about it all year. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, where Star Trek has seemed to be divided and faded, and the fans want it to happen, but there just doesn't. There's no cohesion. The now we've got these two alternate universes: the film universe, which is the rebooted, you know, continuity. And the limbo that is the TV universe, which is still being treated, you know, with trepidation with NBC and whatever it is, you know, dealing with it because it's going to be screened, streamed on NBC, but it's also on its online. Mm. Yeah. It's like their version of um, of iView. It's their online catch-up. That's where the show's going to be, which is weird because that's what they did with Class, and Class was a loss yeah. for the company. And, like, it's Star Trek, so I don't... They're not treating it with respect is the one thing that really annoys me, because the great thing about Star Trek is that, as you said, the movies, Next Gen, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, they were treated with respect. Even Enterprise, to a certain extent, they pushed that like crazy. But then with this, it's kind of like we've gotten two teaser trailers, one at Comic-Con, obviously, and and then one now, which is just kind of like a behind the scenes on of like the props for the first episode and they've kept delaying it and delaying it i mean like i think it was meant to come out in september then january then may and now it's just later on in 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 the year yeah um my hope is that they're delaying it and pushing it back just to get it at a high quality kind of like what would happen with rogue one Mm. all the press about reshoots but it you know worked out to be quite good in its favor it worked in its favor with the reshoots um they do it with marvel all the time with their films they always schedule in reshoots just to see what needs to be changed and added so i'm hoping they're giving them giving themselves enough time so it's not a rush yeah they've also got to find a new showrunner because brian singer left a little while ago so that's probably one of the other reasons for the for the delay that was a massive blow to the show losing him you know he's his work on uh, Hannibal and other stuff like that was so highly regarded and people got behind it. They went, we have a showrunner, we have a face for behind the scenes and people got really excited. And when he left, it was a massive blow. He said, you know, he's off to do other things and he's still involved in the process. But, yeah, you know, he's pretty much stepped out completely, which is... Mm, I think he's consultant, which means he'll be around for like the first couple of episodes and then and then leave. Yeah. But, yeah, there, there we go. A real mix of uh, nerd headlines there. Some sad, some in the middle. No real happy ones, actually, to be honest. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah, and then it was all kind of sad. We were indifferent about Cloak and Dagger. So, yeah, anyway, that's that the nerd headlines. But I am interested to look up that film from the 80s, Cloak and Dagger, which I haven't seen since I was a kid. So, thank you. There's something that comes out of nerd headlines. Oh dear, I uh, I might actually watch that, just see how it is. <laughs> uh, let's move on now to Star Wars Rebels. It is the 
animated uh, successor to the to the Clone Wars, which did kind of get cancelled when Disney bought out George Lucas. They got the final, uh, I think it was like half of the sixth season out on Netflix, and then they converted the rest into unfinished episodes. There was a comic run about Darth Maul and a really good novel that came out, but this was the one that kind of took over. It set five years before episode four. We have Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> I'm I, I'm giving you the death stare over over the Skype line. I can feel it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so Star Wars Rebels was a show that I pretty much doubted the moment it was announced. The characters looked a bit weird. It was the dawn of the rebellion, but with all these cartoon characters. I remember when it was announced on the show. I used to do an improbable podcast. Recent, I just bagged it for the entire episode. We were just going, there's no way this is going to work. And I stood by that throughout the first season. I never watched it until the news that Ahsoka was in it. When that <laughs> when that came out, I went, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to have to watch this because she is probably the best part. Aside from Obi-Wan and actually adding depth to Anakin from The Clone Wars, she was just one of the best parts of that show. I saw episode one. Uh, not episode one. I saw season one. I also saw episode one and was rather disappointed. But no, I saw season one. And and it was a bit of a slow burn, but once it really got going, it was a great show. And the moment I saw it, I went, okay, going to watch season two. Rogue One came along. I have recommended it to you. And then your journey began. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I was a, a similar thing. I was so when, when Clone Wars was cancelled. I was kind of like, I've I've got all of Clone Wars, and I'd always chuck it on every once in a while. The great thing about Clone Wars and with Rebels now, they kind of make the prequels work. They do, don't they? Yeah, and, yeah. And they 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 accept what has to happen because you know Lucas accepts it, and they actually work it into a you know workable fashion. All the clunky stuff like the clones being Tamara Morrison with. Uh, Kiwi accents is kind of explained here. And then in the Clone Wars, each of the clones in the end, under their helmets, they find an individual persona within the fact that they look exactly like the same person. But then the Rebels coming through, I didn't realize that the creative team behind Clone Wars carried on. So you had same, yeah. You know, David um, uh, Filoni you know, and, um, and Simon Kinberg and Greg Wiseman. They're, these guys have carried on with it. And so you can see their influence. And you don't really see it in uh, the first season, but it starts to flourish more in season two. But what I like about Rebels is it starts small. It starts really small. Mm. It takes you a while to get into it, obviously, but then it makes sense the more you watch and the more you see. So it focuses on, you know, as you said, five years before uh, Star Wars, A New Hope. <laughs> yeah. uh, I say that yeah, gritting my teeth. <laughs> we meet this crew, the Ghost, you know, the crew of the Ghost, this wonderful ship that becomes a home. It really is, I compare it to Firefly. It's really what Firefly should have been Firefly was ahead of its time. It was never going to be treated well because it was on a commercial network and it was always going to be treated badly. But I'm there going, this is what Firefly would be if Netflix, if Stan, if all these online platforms were around back then, Serenity would have, you know, and Firefly would have just shone and just flown beautifully in those. And this has been given to do because it's on their, you know, their Disney XD, you know, channel. So the voice cast is great. You've got great characters. So there's Ezra in the lead. You've got uh, Kanan, done by Freddie Prinze Jr., who's doing great work in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he is known as The Last Padawan. There is a canon uh, comic book series, 12-issue long run, which I read yesterday, actually, called The Last Padawan, and it just adds so much depth to him. He's a really cool character in this almost mentor role, except he never really finished his training, so he doesn't know everything, which I really like. He's only got a certain amount of knowledge, so he's kind of like his training was um, you know, incomplete. So he was there when uh, Order 66 came out, the famous Order 66 in Revenge of the Sith, where all the clones were activated to kill the Jedi, and, of course, where uh, Anakin Skywalker became a baby killer. As um, and with it, within that, that uh, Kanan survived and ran and fled. And so the guilt, the survivor guilt, much like Eccleston in Doctor Who as the ninth Doctor, that guilt of being running away as opposed to standing up for his rights, thinking he's the only one left, having to hide his, you know, the legacy that he hides within him is, 
was beautifully realized. And they took their time. The first season is just about them on their ship doing these little odd jobs here and there and helping out the rebellion in a very small scale. Because at that point, mm. we don't know much about the larger rebellion until at the end of season one, they start to incorporate themselves into this building rebellion. So it's a great natural progression. But in that first season, it's all very quite small. You've got uh, you've got Sabine in there, who's a, who's a Mandalorian, and we actually see more of the Mandalorian culture, which has only been talked about with uh, you know Boba Fett having the clothing of a Mandalorian, but he isn't actually a Mandalorian. It's a clone from blah, 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 blah. Anyway. Yeah, they, they did some Mandalorian stuff in uh, the Clone Wars, which they do reference in the most recent season, but those, uh, the, those Clone War episodes were always kind of my least favorite ones because they were all about the politics and stuff. They kind of pushed that to the side with, with Rebels, which I really like, and focus on what Mandalorians are, and that is a very, very, very violent race. They are a very violent race, and it's just really insane to see Sabine come out of that. Uh, Hera is incredible. Um, I've never really liked the, the, the that race of alien the Twi'leks. Twi- yeah, they've ne- never been really evolved. I always saw it, and especially with the Jedi in Revenge of the Sith, was just a scantily clad woman with a lightsaber. And I thought that's a little bit demeaning. She was um, she was really cool in Clone Wars and a bunch of the and a bunch of the comics, which was where I quite liked her character. But yeah, you're right. If you just watch Revenge of the Sith, you know, I, not yeah. not great. She, yeah, she's in a skimpy outfit and gets shot by clones, and they just keep shooting her. He's just going, stop, she's already dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, with Hera, we get time for her to develop, and she's an amazing character. Hera is the, mm. the captain of this ship and keeps everyone in line. Zeb's even great. Zeb's a wonderful character. All, yeah, and Chopper. Chopper is, you know... You know, you thought you know you thought you couldn't find another more adorable droid than R two or even BB eight. Chopper's mm. down and dirty and you know <laughs> selfish and you know uh, yeah <laughs> and bad talking. I'm sw- I swear he has like a, a Brooklyn accent if he ever. <laughs> yes, yeah. I was um I was thinking about Chopper today and uh, and I draw comparisons to Kenny from South Park. He's kind of like the <laughs> Kenny of Rebels. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. He's like the trailer park of the uh, Astromex. That's really... <laughs> yeah. That's a lot better. Yeah, so he'd probably have less of the Brooklyn uh, accent. He'd probably have more of the, you know, Southern, you know, he'd be like Cletus the Slack, George Yokel, maybe. But yeah, it's just beautiful. And slowly through season one, we get those references to the larger series. So we have an appearance from Lando Calrissian, which is great. And it's actually Billy D. You hear the sweet, sweet tones of Billy D. You've got hints of um, uh, Obi-Wan there in flashbacks of Yoda. Um, the great um, James Earl Jones comes back and voices Darth a little bit in season one before he has a bigger role in season two. Um, and so in season two, when we get this, you know, finally Ahsoka figures out who um, who Vader is, an amazing confrontation of these characters who were friends, who were connected, who were, you know, who, who loved each other as, as you know as deeply as Obi-Wan loved uh, Anakin, you know, when you could believe you and McGregor screaming, you and my brother, I can't believe I just had to, you know, chop off with your legs, dude. Although he does have the higher ground. He has the higher ground. It's all about the higher ground. I, I started to care about the prequels from watching that. I'm going, yeah, oh, my God, wasn't it amazing? Wasn't it incredible? Yeah, that, oh, the good old days of the Clone Wars. Oh, that... <laughs> <laughs> yes, the good old days of the prequels, you know. The... <laughs> the prequels, that was great. I know. I want to go back and watch. No, only watch Rebels and then think back about how beautiful it is, but never watch it. You can watch Clone Wars, that's great, but the prequels, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and that is like my favourite part about Rebels. The one thing that I absolutely hated about the extended universe just being ripped away was all that prequel canon. That is probably, I know it's a controversial opinion, but that's probably my favourite era when it comes to Star Wars. I never really got into the New Republic, the New Jedi Order. I was all about the Old Republic. I love that stuff. And the great thing about Rebels is it brings all that into this middle ground era, yet also incorporating the Rebellion, Darth Vader, and all that. It's this great middle ground in the lore, which I love. Yeah, it's incorporating all this stuff, which is now becoming a part of uh, the cinema world as as well. Like the Hammerhead Cruisers was introduced in Rebels, which were used in that iconic scene in Rogue One to knock out the Scarif uh, shield generators. Uh, season three, what we've got is a little bit. Um, we've had issues with it. They've introduced Grand Admiral uh, Thrawn, who is oh, a, he's, yeah, he's great. He, 
He's great. He was, he was a iconic character from the, the Terry Brooks series, which came out, Heir to the Empire, which was, for a long time, the canon after Return of the Jedi finished. Yeah, he's really cool as this very, uh, very smart guy. A lot of the Imperial kind of soldiers, I mean, we have a Callus is kind of like the overarching Imperial villain, and Callus has had a great arc in Season 3 as well. Yeah. Um, but Thrawn kind of comes along and he really understands how these rebels are working, and it's this really cool power play as well with like him and all the other Imperials. It is a new era to see that character in, but it works really well. And I'm really, I'm really excited for the the novelization of his origins, which is uh, which is due soon. But I'm sure I'll talk about that when it gets released. Yeah, it's really interesting because we haven't got uh, like reintroducing. Um... Darth Maul is 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 great because he's like far much more interesting than he was in Phantom Menace. You look at him and you just go, "Well, this guy's evil. There's no way he can like be a nice guy." You couldn't see Darth Maul get a job as a counselor or work, <laughs> no. work as a primary school teacher. It just doesn't work. Um, but to see the range of his uh, emotions come across is just fantastic work. All his interactions with uh, Ezra have been just. So well scripted, so well acted, just fantastic stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, season three's had a, a change in direction. Like, uh, it's Fillion, uh, Filoni, sorry, has moved on. Dave Filoni has moved on from it, is because mm. he's accepted a larger role in the expanded Star Wars universe. So he's that promotion has led him away from Rebels, but he's more overseeing, you know, Lucas Animation projects, which will scan out, which is good. He's a great egg to have. He did wonderful work on uh, Clone Wars and how he blends the series into the universe is great. And he's someone that should be encouraged to, you know, you know, expand and have a larger role within it's car- It's people like that who, you know, Disney need within the, uh, the star Wars world because he understands the extended universe and is and mm. beautiful at connecting them all together. Yeah, but you are right, it's a bit of a change in direction. In terms of the story arc, not much has changed. It's more about a mall slight spoilers. He's trying to find a, a planet with two suns, and it's a desert planet. I wonder what that could be. They're trying to make it a mystery, which I really like, even though it's super obvious what he's trying to do. He's alive. I can find him. Hmm. <laughs> um, but they, they have taken a different approach. There's, I don't want to say filler but there's a lot of just kind of empty episodes in here there are some great ones the first two episodes of the season are great Hera's heroes was one that i really liked the last battle the uh, the clone wars episodes and then the sabine solo one where she goes back to uh to mandalore was a great episode as well but there's a lot of episodes in which nothing really happens especially with the main character arcs of characters who had massive moments at the very end of season two they're doing the kind of 90s tv show treatment in which it's very episodic they they don't really deal with it until the start and the end of the mid-season but kanan had a massive change yet nothing has really happened to him He's really been sidelined. Yeah, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. So at the end of season two, he uh, gets attacked by Maul and he's blinded. So he's uh, blinded at the end of season two. And so for season three, he's trying to adjust with, you know, his lack of sight. And he goes, uh, is mentored by Bendu, (laughs) voiced by the beautiful Tom Baker. It's like this huge, like almost, you know, bovine type creature who is uh, force sensitive is the word. And so to have that happen, and then he does nothing. Kanan was this wonderful character in season one and two, racked with guilt, trying to, you know, come to peace with these demons from, from the past and make connections with uh, the, you know, the, the old clone troopers and gain a trust with them, his relationship with Hera. And he's just been sidelined for all of season three, and it's really disturbed me, you know, because he's such a fascinating character. And I can't believe I'm saying this in a public forum. I want more Freddie Prinze Jr. <laughs> Yeah, I know, it's kind of weird. He, he's such a great character, and Freddie Prince does does a great job, but still, it's, it is for Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> but that's the thing, I'm not I'm not um, phased by that at all. I don't even go, I'm going to go, it's Freddie Prince Jr., I'm on his side now. Yeah, well, he was a douche in the 90s, he was in Wing Commander, I, I can't forgive him for that, but, you know, he, is, he has made Kanan such 
an endearing character, such a beautiful character. And despite the fact he's got a, you know, the characterization's got a very 90s goatee, I still, you know, still love that character. I even bought, this is this is me being completely nerdy. Actually, they did the black series of uh, action figures. Oh, yeah. They've released a Kanan one, so I picked that up. And it's a great, you know, they're going, I've got an action figure of Kanan. I don't want him to turn into a, you know, sideline sap, which he has been for season three. So they, the most recent episode where he's training up Sabine to use the the Black Saber was, I'm there going, finally, give him something to do. Let him breathe. He, you know, it's, you know, you've blinded him. Now, you know, make him better because of that. Yeah, this was kind of the same thing that I noticed with season two, though, which is why I'm not as upset about it as I think you are. And that is that with season two, you kind of had that as well. Some characters were sidelined for the first half, but then for the second half, they really shone. I mean, like... Zeb's storyline in that second half of season two was excellent. So maybe that's what they're doing with Kanan. It's still a little bit more annoying than that because they did set it up as a massive character moment with those first two episodes. But um, again, you got to realize this is a kid's show to a certain extent. It doesn't feel like it at times because it gets really dark really quickly, much like the Clone Wars. But this is kind of a kid's show and kids normally don't really notice those types of things. Yeah. of things so you kind of got to give it leeway a little bit when it comes to that and that's what i'm liking about it you know that's what the original star wars films were they were made for you know kids and families but they never you know talked down to them and then lucas you know had his own kids and then backed off on everything so it made it more slapstick and more cutesy even even the ewoks i appreciate the ewoks it's good to finally talk about it because i've had no one really to discuss rebels with and it's just such a joy to go into nuances details about you know having frank oz back and having those little cameos from from yoda was beautiful i have we have mm. we haven't seen obi-wan yet but that's going to be great darth maul has been awesome lando's in there even the new characters coming in have been you know, like hondo has been wonderful to come back he's been a mischievous character in there. Captain Rex is my personal favorite how he's just kind of like he came along and he was just this old guy fishing which was really good Oh, and the and the and the old the old Republic um, uh, Walker, and they're just using it to you know catch fish and just <laughs> just they're like living in Florida. It's the Florida planet, which I love. And Rex is really good. This is a beautiful addition, and yeah, that ties to the yeah. And that's the thing; he makes the prequels cool. I'm there going, yeah, but then you realize Rex was, was did Rex even appear? In um, uh, Revenge mm, of the Sith? No, Cody did. Captain Cody did, but uh, not Rex. Captain Cody did, and he's like he had his programming, and so he tried to kill Obi Wan. But yeah, because yeah. Rex is masterpiece, a beautiful character, and for him to come back, he's even better now. Like with his bald head and his goatee, and his like, suit <laughs> fits a bit tighter than it used to. I'm going, ah, oh, we all know how that feels. Oh, age, how we hate you. But yeah, that type of thing. He ma- he makes the prequels cool, and I go, damn it. Damn it, he's doing too well. I'm looking forward to seeing where they're going and getting closer and closer to tying those series together. So bringing in Mon Mothma, bringing in you know uh, the Mon Calamari, bringing in Yavin. When do they move to Yavin? You know they've got their base now, but they've got to move to Yavin soon. Do they move in season four? Do they move in season five? Is Yavin a newer? Like, a, do they just move to Yavin just before Rogue One, or have they been there for a little bit longer? That type of stuff I'm really excited to see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm really excited for the, the future of the show, especially the season three, uh, what I'm guessing is going to be the finale from the trailer that we got. Very, very exciting uh, nerdgasming stuff there. <laughs> well, it's really cool because you see, the, the you really seeing the birth of the Rebellion, which I'm liking. They're trying to like steal ships and get old ships, and they go, okay, we need this, we need to get these. Hopefully we get Porkins in there at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but in closing, uh, just, just a couple ratings for the show. I think this could be a fun way to round it up. I will give season one of Star Wars Rebels five and a half out of, out of seven samurai. I'm going to give that half to season two and give that a solid six and a half because it was only one episode that I thought was a bit weak. That entire season was great. And season three is a tough one at this stage. Five and three quarters. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, we're getting more and more into the percentages. Well done. Um, yeah, I give I give season one five and a half as well. Really solid. I give season two uh, six and a half. Really great stuff. The Asurka and Anakin stuff is just outstanding. And uh, season three five at the moment. Hopefully, it picks mm. up in the second half of the season. But yeah, so five and a half, six and a half, and five. 
Fantastic, yes. And yeah, if you haven't seen Rebels, I hope that we have convinced you to jump on board because, I mean, it's great. It really is. It <laughs> really is fantastic. If you hadn't picked it up, we think it's pretty good. But yes, have you seen Rebels? If you have, let us know what you think. You can, of course, send us an email, feedback.nerdout at gmail.com, or just send us a message on Facebook. Those links are in the description. And as always, if you have anything you want us to review, just send the title over. We'll check it out. Also, uh, we are up on iTunes, and uh, if you haven't yet, feel free to leave a review, because our two reviews are feeling a bit lonely and need some people to come and come and help them out, I think. Our, our reviews are just, you know, sitting in a restaurant all alone, just eating the bre- breadsticks, waiting for more people to come for conversation. Yeah. I was going to make a death stick reference then from Attack of the Clones. Yeah, <laughs> no, probably not the best idea. No, we don't want any death sticks. I don't want any death sticks. You want to go home and cast yourself in, in the next Matrix films. I think I'm going to go cast myself in the next oh, Matrix Oh, dear. Film. Fun, fun, nerdy comedy <laughs> right there. That's that, That's what you, you, you listen that's to the show for. If you, if you came here for anything else... Um, I'm sorry you found the wrong podcast. Uh, so next week's going to be really fun. We are going to be reviewing some really cool stuff. The Lego Batman movie is out everywhere, aside from Australia, so we can't review that. Uh, John Wick Chapter 2 is also out everywhere, aside from Australia. It feels like we're going back to the Dark Ages when Australia got movies really, really late. Uh, but no, we're going to be looking at the new DC animated movie Justice Like Dark, as well as a couple episodes of the new DC sitcom, Powerless. See how that turns out. I've gotten very mixed reports so far, so I'm interested in checking that out. Thanks for listening, and uh, until that podcast, make sure you nerd out. You were just listening to Nerd Out, episode 11, featuring Rob Lloyd and Sandra Felcher. This has been an improbable podcast production. Feel free to contact us at feedback.nerdout at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook for any review recommendations or feedback. The links are in the description. The views expressed those of the speaker and don't necessarily reflect those of the other speakers or the network. The opening and closing music of this show is Denial by Dark Shadows. No copyright infringement was intended. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Or it's been recording already. Huh. <laughs> well, there's some stuff in there we could use as a blackmail against each other. <laughs> I don't think it was that bad. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, Sharknado. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Those Sharknado movie makers, they are, they, they are out for blood. Speaking of things that are pretty good, <laughs> what did you think of uh, things... That's a, that segue <laughs> doesn't work at all. <laughs> it crashed and burned. You crashed oh, much dude. like the person who invented the segue. <laughs> oh, that's getting a bit dark all of a sudden. Yeah, he actually fell off, he fell off a cliff. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, wow. There we go. Good thing we'll cut. Nerd out. <laughs> we, we, we go from politics to nerd and then to grim ends of inventors.